So, I think that's yours. Good morning again. Good morning. Morning. How are you? Good. <laughs> On a scale of one to five, with five means I'm terrific. Where are you? Five? <laughs> oh, to be six. <laughs> oh. Well, thank you, Isabel, for playing. <laughs> uh, Gospel according to St. Mark, chapter 1, verses 29 to 39 this morning. Are you all feeling that same enthusiasm that Izzy's feeling? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're working on it. That's right. That's right. Mark 1, 29-39. Hear now the word of the Lord. As soon as they left the synagogue... They entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they told him about her at once. He being Jesus, right? Jesus came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. Then the fever left her, and she began to serve them. That evening at sunset, they brought to Jesus all who were sick or possessed with demons. And the whole city was gathered around the door. And he cured many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not permit the demons to speak because they knew him. Verse 35. In the morning, while it was still very dark, Jesus got up and went out to a deserted place. And there he prayed. And Simon and his companions hunted for him. When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is searching for you. He answered, Let us go on to the neighboring towns, so that I may proclaim the message there also. For that is what I came out to do. And he went throughout Galilee, proclaiming the message in their synagogues, and casting out demons. Let's pray. Gracious Lord, for the gift of your word, we thank you. Be with us, our God, during this time. And may I have a word for your people. May we hear what we need to hear, see what we need to see. In Jesus' name, amen. So our scripture today, we've got several gathering events. You like gatherings, you like family gatherings, church gatherings, lots of people do. It's the Sabbath for the first event. They're gathered at the synagogue and Jesus has sort of taught there. They're leaving the synagogue, right? Immediately is what some of the translations say. And that seems to be one of Mark's favorite words. 
Here it says, as soon as they left the synagogue. So they gather at Simon Peter's, right? Simon is Simon Peter. Y'all know that, right? Simon Peter's mother-in-law's mother house for food and fellowship, rest and relaxation. You know, it's sort of like going to Wheatley's. Or the ordinary, or next door after communion, right? Y'all go out to lunch a lot for, uh, after worship. This is sort of what they're doing too. But they aren't able to do what they want to do. Why not? Because the mother-in-law is sick. And so until she's healed of her fever, which is actually really serious in the ancient world, which still serious these days, until she is healed of her fever, they're sort of at a stop here, right? A full stop. So, of course, what's Jesus do? He heals her. She begins to serve them. So, for Simon Peter to have a mother-in-law, you know that means he has a wife, right? Right? That's one of those funny little details sometimes we skip over or we don't go ahead and think through the implications. Oh, his mother-in-law, blah, blah, blah. Jesus healed him in that swell. And then it's like, wait. To have a mother-in-law means you have a wife. And that would be the usual way of life in the ancient world, right? For the males to be married. So it's not exactly like it's some big earth-shattering news. Nevertheless, those kinds of little hidden details we do tend to miss. But it is important to remember that while these guys are all traveling with Jesus, they actually really have personal relationships. They have other obligations. They have family responsibilities. It's not so much different for us. Right? Pretty much the same sort of thing. And by the way, some women read this scripture as an insult. Right? Oh, how nice that Jesus could heal her so she could serve the men. That's how, they, that's, how that's sometimes read. Right? As if that's the only reason Jesus does it. So she can cook and serve them. But in Christian thought, it's an honor and a privilege to offer hospitality to others. And that's what she's doing. She is the host, and it's an honor and a privilege to offer hospitality to others. Sort of like it's an honor and a privilege to unlock the church on Sunday mornings, or to make the coffee, or to set up fellowship, or to prepare communion. This is all showing hospitality. And so in Christian thought, this is a good thing. It's an honor and it's a privilege to do those things. Yes, it's also true that culturally, cooking and serving others was the norm for women, right? And all of us like to do our normal stuff, whatever that is. And we don't like it so much when our normal gets disrupted, whether it's something like illness or distress or our age and we can't do our normal things. So Jesus actually does a great gift. He returns her to normalcy. She gets her life back, if you will. So the third gathering then, right, is later that evening when everyone is at the door to the house, which is probably a preacher's exaggeration. We don't do that anymore, though. It's just, right? <laughs> Everyone's at the door to the house. The people have needs. They want them met. 
they believe that Jesus is the one who could do that. If you back up just a few verses when Jesus is teaching in the synagogue, it is very clear that the people are like, Whoa! We are amazed. So they have seen Jesus' power and authority, and they are drawn to it. And so their response is very clear. They want to be where he is. He's got something they want, and they want to be close. So everyone is gathered at the door because they also have expectations. They have hopes. They have longings. They are anticipating the healing that they trust that Jesus can bring because they've already seen him do it. Now they may also have some anxiety. We've seen that in scripture on and off. Maybe some fear and some trepidation. Maybe even they're desperate. We have, there are stories where folks want Jesus to do a healing and they are desperate for that healing to happen. So then what's the next thing? Early the next morning, still very dark outside, Jesus gathers with God. All is quiet. No sirens. No cell phones. No television. No talk radio. All is quiet in the darkness of the night. Jesus and God have themselves a conversation. A talking and a listening and a talking and a listening. And based on how the next gathering goes, it seems to me that Jesus is recentering himself on God and God's agenda and God's desires and purpose. Not only for Jesus, but for that community and even for the world. Jesus has gone into prayer. Prayer can do all these things for us as well. It helps us keep our eyes focused on Christ as our light. It helps us live and be the gospel of love, even in the most difficult and trying of situations. It charges us as in like a battery and fills us with God's spirit. It centers us, pulls us in to what is important. On those things we must take care of. Centers us to what is important so that we tend to what is important and other things fall into place and into their proper place. Not like prim and proper, right? but proper, gospel proper, as in abundant life and grace and blessing, peace and shalom. Prayer's good stuff. I highly recommend it on a regular basis. And quiet time, glorious. Recommend that as well. So Jesus is in this deserted place and at some point daylight breaks, right? Because now the entire town is up. <laughs> right? They're awake. They're searching for Jesus. Simon and his companions 
have also gathered in the hunt for Jesus. I'm not a hunter. I know this much about hunting, which means nothing. But a hunt is a hunt. Is it not? Is it not a searching out? Aren't you going for something you want? Have you ever had to hunt for a lost child? Whoa! That'd be one, you know, your blood pressure. Go up just a little. When they find him, I think that their language is akin to finding a lost child. Where have you been? Everyone's been searching for you. A little bit of anger, a little bit of relief, some funny little mix of, I think I want to smack you, but it would be a good idea not to, and I'm so relieved that you're here. A firm pat on the back, yes. I think instead I'll just give you a firm pat on the back. This last gathering event, it strikes me as almost just like a little bit desperate. They are hunting for Jesus. Hunting for Jesus. Can you hear him? Where is he? Why, where is he? Why isn't he here? Doesn't he know what we want? Doesn't we, he know that we're looking for him? Doesn't he know that we need him? Where is he? Does he not understand what's happening here? <laughs> Does he not know? And what's Jesus say? No more healings, folks. I'm out of here. Right? I know. I think it's funny. Show's over. I'm done. I'm called to preach the message first. If I can do some healing along the way, that's great. But I can't be and my message cannot be reduced to a miracle healer headline. It's not exactly the response we expect from Jesus. But he's pretty good at that, I think. So we can find several themes and ideas from all these events. One is that whenever we humans gather in an attempt to control and contain God or God's work, it just typically doesn't work. These folks are trying to contain and control Jesus. And he's like, nah. Not happening. And then I think this story, because there's all these sort of little gatherings in this scripture begs the question of us, how do we gather in Jesus' name as a community? In what manner are we drawn together as a body of Christ in Jesus' name, in worship and study and meetings and during food and fellowship? Do we come with hopes and expectations? These folks sure did, didn't they? Do we come with fear and trepidation? Some of these folks did that too. Anxiety, longings, anticipation, excitement, like Izzy's. (laughs) 
So are we really centered in God or do we just bring God along for the ride? How intentional, in other words, are we about being in community? Okay, now we're going to come at this from a completely different angle. Lots of questions this morning. Are we even aware of all the emotions, ideas, concerns, and agenda items pressing on us when we gather in Jesus' name? Do we know the voice of our own desperation of what we're looking for? Do we hear the voice of our neighbor? The one who's sitting in the same pew or the one in front or behind us? Are we willing to let God work through us? Are we willing to speak and listen and speak and listen and spend that time with God so we become more clear and more focused about the agenda? I mean, Jesus is not going to be put in a box even to do God's good healing work. And I find that sort of interesting. Because everybody's got an idea about what Jesus ought to be doing. And he's like, that's a good work. There's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, I affirm that. But not right now. Not right now. It doesn't take much to imagine that these folks are sort of unhappy about Jesus' response. Maybe even disappointed, disgruntled, and angry. Because he doesn't do what they want. He doesn't do what they hope he does or even what they expect. One scholar says, if we try to turn Jesus into our own private mascot, if we make Jesus all about us and our personal agendas, if we think Jesus exists mostly to solve just this or that one thing, we fail to recognize the enormity of his true plans and purposes. And I'm wondering if we're doing that, either individually or as a community. Because Jesus is looking at the big picture. He's got a larger divine, God-inspired agenda to pursue. He had to move on. And we should be thankful for that, yes? He could have set up a miracle clinic and said, y'all just come by and see me. I'm setting up a miracle clinic. Nine to five. Five cents. <laughs> Jesus knew the danger of the folks' adoration of his healing miracles. He knew the dangers of their relentless pursuit, and he knew their desperation. So the message that we today have to proclaim and to embody is, is, is the same as that always has been. And it's the message of Jesus, is it not? God's gospel of abundant life for the entirety of creation is at hand. Not just for me and for you, but for the entirety of creation. Today, as much as ever... I would suggest that the world needs to know that abundant life is real and possible and available. Abundant life on earth is real 
and possible and available. This is a clear message that the world needs to hear. It's a message that even those of us who participate in church and show up and do stuff, that we need to hear repeatedly. We need to be reminded over and over again. Others need to see the joy and the possibilities of that kind of a gospel life in us. Can you tell your story? Can you stay focused? Can you keep the main thing the main thing? Or do the distractions win the day? Sort of matters how we gather, I would say. How we gather, whether it's the chili supper or the strawberry festival or for food and fellowship after worship, how we greet one another, how we greet our guests, our attitude before we even start worship, which is why I push Sunday school. It helps you get ready. It helps you get prepped. You don't come into worship completely cold, even in the summer. Puts our hearts and our minds on God, on your brothers and sisters in Christ before you even walk into the sanctuary. Our attitude about how we gather matters more than whether or not we get our business done. We can get the business done. That's the easy part. Having a right heart, that's the harder part. Matters how we gather. Matters what we're focused on. Matters what kind of a spirit we reflect and embody when we gather. The details are important. The big picture is important. How do we learn how to hang on to both? The details are what kind of shoes you wear. You don't want to wear sandals this kind of weather. The big picture is, I am clothed. You've got to hang on to both. Both of them matter. Are you with me? Here's my prayer. My prayer is that we gather as God's children, made in God's image, full of hospitality for others like the hospitality that God has shown us, proclaiming the grace in humility, loving, patient, kind, forgiving, seeking justice, trusting God and God's promises. Loving God with all our hope, our soul, our mind, and our strength. Loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. Listening and speaking to God over and over, and certainly with others as well. Ever seeking to let God be free to work in our lives. To be free to build up this body of Christ. That we may be a force for all that is good and right and godly. May we become aware of what's distracting us, what we're resisting. Learn how to release it. And go ahead and keep moving. Amen? Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly 
far more than we can ask or imagine. Do you believe it? Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. We're thinking too small. This is very clear. All this scripture, we are thinking too small. Now to him who by the power at work within us is able to accomplish abundantly far more than we can ask or imagine. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We have a hymn.